Matthew 13, verse 44 to 46. The parables of the hidden treasure and the pearl. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for a fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Can you hear me? Greetings, my name is Steve, and I'm sounding very loud. It's good to have you with us in church tonight. Brad Skinner and Melissa Martin lived in Sydney. They sold everything they had to embark on a three-year trip across 18 countries. Their greatest joy was adventureering, and they had spent many holidays over the past 15 years pursuing this passion. 2011 was different. They went all in. They quit their jobs, they rented out their house, and they sold nearly everything they had to pursue their joy. And so they set off in February this year. But sadly, less than one month in, Mr. Skinner died when they plunged down a glacier in New Zealand. It was a tragic ending to a story of two people who were 100% committed to pursuing their greatest joy. Now, adventureering might not be your thing, uh, and after reading this story, I feel like it's probably not the, the safest hobby to have. But I wonder what passion, what cause has so consumed you that in joy you pursue it single-mindedly and wholeheartedly, day in and day out. Is it Jesus? Is he this cause that has consumed you in joy and who you pursue day in and day out? In these two short parables that Tim just read to us, Matthew 13, Jesus has a very simple but compelling message. And his message is this. The kingdom of heaven is so valuable and so precious that to give up everything for it is a perfectly reasonable exchange. The kingdom of heaven is so valuable and so precious that to give up everything to get it is a perfectly reasonable exchange. Friends, this is one of my favourite passages of Scripture and, and I'm really excited to, to spend this time tonight preaching on it. And I pray that as a church together, we might savour Jesus as the all-consuming, priceless treasure that he is. And so as we spend the next 25 minutes looking at this passage, let's pray that God would move in our hearts that we might savour Jesus. Our God and, and our Heavenly Father, we declare tonight that there is none like you. There is nothing and no one that compares with you. You are a treasure beyond description and beyond comparison. Father, for the gift of your word, we praise you and we ask that tonight as we consume it, 
you would open our eyes to the supremacy of your worth. Amen. This parable is, is all about the kingdom's value, and as we consider the kingdom, we need to understand what it is. So what is the kingdom of heaven? It's a common theme in Matthew, this kingdom. From Matthew 3, John the Baptist announced it. From Matthew 4, Jesus preached it. And in fact, in this chapter that we just read, Jesus shares seven different parables, all illustrating what the kingdom of heaven is like. This kingdom is a long-awaited and much-anticipated and promised reality. For from Genesis 3 until Matthew 1, God's people have been waiting and waiting. They were waiting for a Messiah. They were waiting for a Saviour. They were waiting for a King. They were waiting for a King who would crush Satan and overcome evil. They were waiting for a king who would liberate them from the slavery to the evil nations around and the sin that consumed them within. They were waiting for a king who would deliver them forgiveness once and for all, getting rid of that sacrifice system that they returned to day after day. They were waiting for a king who would give them a hope and a future, a king who would sit on an eternal throne and rule his people with with righteousness and justice. For such a long time, God's people were anticipating the coming of this king and this kingdom. And then in Matthew 4, Jesus begins to preach and he says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And as he preaches, his listeners are wondering, Is this the promised king? Is this the start of, of the promised kingdom that we've been waiting for for so long? Even his cousin, John the Baptist, is, is hopeful but unsure. He asked in Matthew 11, Are you the one who is to come or, or should we be expecting someone else? And I love how Jesus responds. This is what he says. Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured, the, dead he, the, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and good news is preached to the poor. It's a kingdom of power and authority, a kingdom of healing and of hope, of transformation and ultimately of resurrection. Jesus is sending back a message to John and he's saying, Hey John, put your party hat on because that kingdom you're looking forward to, it's here and the king you're waiting for, it's me. It's time to get excited. And this kingdom that was announced and anticipated and we see coming in its force with Jesus, this kingdom where people submit their lives to the ultimate eternal king, continues to roll on today as people recognize the supreme worth of Jesus, the king, the lord of all creation. And many of us here tonight will, will testify to putting our lives under his rule and living under his authority from now into eternity. And Jesus is so eager in this parable as he describes his kingdom to explain just how valuable it is. And in Matthew 13, he, he compares it to a hidden treasure and a fine pearl. Please 
Uh, Read with me, uh, page 691, right down the bottom right there. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When, When he found one of great value, he went away, sold everything he had and bought it. Now, the main point that Jesus is making here about the kingdom of heaven is pretty clear. The kingdom has great value. At a a connect group on on Tuesday night, uh, we did some brainstorming, and I asked the group, what are the benefits of of being in Christ? What are are the the, the benefits that we experience for, for being part of his kingdom? Now, if you've been part of this kingdom for some time, it's, it's great to reflect on these benefits that are now ours and to remember their value because too often we forget. But this is also a great question for you to consider if you've never really thought much about the kingdom of heaven before. You might be wondering, why is it so important? And why should I join? Well, let me share with you a summary of the benefits of belonging to this, this kingdom. And I'm going to do this using five Ps. Pardon, peace, power, purpose, and personal relationship. And take a deep breath. This won't take particularly long. We could go on forever summarizing the benefits of belonging to the kingdom. But let me just summarize these very briefly for you. Pardon. Jesus has provided pardon from sin. He knew that our greatest need as the human race, was forgiveness. And in laying down his life, he secured the forgiveness for all who turn to him. Secondly, Jesus provides peace. You know, a lady started coming to our church uh, this year, and recently she became a Christian. How good is that? It's great. And of the many things that she said that have brought her joy in coming to know Jesus, she was reflecting on how wonderful it is to be freed from guilt. She felt the weight of guilt of her sin bearing down on her, and now she delights in Jesus who has provided for her peace with God. Jesus provides peace. He removes the fear of the future, fear of judgment, fear of death, and provides us with a peace that passes understanding. Thirdly, Jesus provides power. His spirit, God himself, now dwells in all those who are part of his kingdom. It's a power that is greater than anything in this world, giving us the strength to say no to sin, no to self, and to live for Jesus who gave himself for us. Fourthly, Jesus provides purpose. In Jesus, we discover that we are greatly loved and treasured by God. And he has provided us with a hope and with a future. He has given us the hope of eternal life that no one can take away. And he has secured for us an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. How is that for something to look forward to? And lastly, Jesus provides us with a personal relationship with God. The ability to call God Father. Something no one had been able to do. 
And now he has opened the door for the most intimate relationship between the creature and the created. Now, friends, in examining and summarizing these benefits, we are just scraping the surface and can barely do them justice. But if you are hearing these things for the first time, I pray that your heart will be racing as you discover what Jesus has to offer, what it means to belong to his kingdom. But friends, for all of us, these benefits don't just make the kingdom valuable, they give it a supreme worth. A worth that is far and above all other things. Let me ask you, how, how good are you at recognizing true worth? I have absolutely no interest in any involvement in a television show, Antiques Roadshow. It is a boring, boring show. I can't think of anything worse than spending hours evaluating the value of antiques. But these people have one useful skill. They have many useful skills, but one in particular comes in handy in this show. They know how to spot what's valuable, and they know how to pick what looks valuable but is actually rubbish. Now, as far as I know, none of us are antiques valuers. But do you know treasure when you see it? Can you spot it? Or are you easily tricked by things that look valuable but aren't really treasure at all? You see, in both of these parables of the treasure in the field and the pearl, the value of the treasure is recognized. Both of the men realize the value of what they have discovered. And this understanding of its worth transforms how they respond to it. The Apostle Paul recognized the value of Christ in his kingdom. And he described how this understanding put everything else in his life in perspective. This is what he said in, in Philippians 3. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ Jesus. There is a man who knew the greatness of Jesus and how that put everything else in perspective. Brothers and sisters, have you forgotten how precious it is to know Jesus and the benefits of being a part of his kingdom? Have you forgotten? When we forget, or when other things cloud in around us, obscuring our vision and, and competing for importance, any call for obedience that comes at any cost to us of our time or our money or our relationships or our lifestyle or our leisure will seem like a terrible inconvenience that's not worth the effort. To return to that antique roadshow example, why would you spend $10,000 on an antique clock when you only think it's worth $100? 
you would give nothing for a clock that you thought wasn't valuable. But on the flip side, would you spend everything you have on a clock that you knew was priceless? Of course you would. And so I ask you tonight, for you personally, how much of a treasure is Jesus? The value you place on this treasure will transform how you respond to it. For many of us, many of us, Jesus is a good thing, a very good thing. But is he the best thing? The supreme thing? Better than everything else? Far and above everything else this life has to offer? Does Jesus sit in pole position above every other thing in our lives? This is a parable teaching us to value the king and his kingdom. This parable teaches us two ways to respond to the value of the kingdom. A two-part response. Take a look at verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. You see that? In his joy. He's joyful. He's found a treasure. He's found something of supreme worth, and he's off to claim it as his own. It's perfectly reasonable, isn't it? Joy is an entirely reasonable response to unearthing a treasure of immense value. And as he stumbles across this treasure in the field completely unexpectedly, he is filled with joy. Can you imagine his delight as he discovers this? He wasn't expecting it, and here is a -a once-in-a-lifetime treasure that he can make his own. And he is filled with joy. And the kingdom of heaven is like this. And so I ask you, does knowing Jesus fill you with joy? Is discovering this treasure, knowing this treasure, living this treasure, something that makes your heart race with a deep-seated joy? Friends, when we respond daily to Jesus with joy, when it is our joy to submit to him as we live out as his people in his kingdom, it brings great honor and glory to God. How? Well, let's say you cook dinner for someone you love. And after the meal, they say to you, look, this is wonderful. Thank you. Why did you do this? How would it go down if you responded Well, I knew you'd be angry if I didn't. That wouldn't go down well. I haven't tried it and I certainly don't plan to. In making that kind of response, there is no honour and glory that goes to the maker of the meal. The kindness of the act of cooking dinner has been destroyed by the joyless response. But imagine if you responded instead 
I cooked you dinner because you're worth it. Now that brings great honour to the person who eats the meal. And so friends, as we respond with joy, not just on the first day that we enter the kingdom, but every day as we live in the kingdom, it brings great honour and glory to God. Joy is a wonderful motivator for moving us through the Christian life and serving Jesus. And it's only seen as we remind ourselves of the value of him and his kingdom. Hebrews 12 is a great reminder of how joy was the motivator for Jesus. It tells us that for the joy set before him, Jesus was enabled to endure the cross. For the joy, Jesus was able to scorn its shame and then to sit down at the right hand of the throne of God. It was joy that motivated Jesus to lay down his life for us. Joy was his motivator. And it can and should be our motivator too as we live out as his people day by day. Brothers and sisters, are you lacking joy? Are you lacking joy? Perhaps tonight... With the psalmist, you can pray, O God, restore to me the joy of your salvation. What a prayer that God would answer. God, give me joy. Joy in knowing you. Joy in being one of yours. Friends, that is a prayer that God is going to answer. God, restore to me the joy of your salvation. The man responded to the treasure with joy. And secondly, he responded with 100% wholehearted commitment. He saw the value. He was filled with joy. And then joyfully, not reluctantly, not sadly, he sold everything he had to secure the treasure. We saw this with the man who, who came across the treasure hidden in the field. He hid it again in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. And we saw it with the pearl merchant. He found one of great value and he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. The pattern is the same. The value, the joy, selling, securing. It seems like a radical response, doesn't it? In both of these parables, a radical response, selling everything he had. But in fact, it was an extremely prudent financial decision. Because the man, in both these parables, was utterly convinced that the treasure was worth more than everything he had. He sold everything he had to get something of greater worth. And so I ask you, does... Does this describe you? Are you utterly convinced that Jesus is worth more than everything else put together? You know, in this, in this parable here, the man wasn't selling everything he had to get something less valuable. He wasn't downgrading. He wasn't trading his Porsche to buy a Daewoo. It was a perfectly reasonable exchange. He knew that he had discovered something that was far more valuable than the sum total of everything he had. And he wanted it. 
and joyfully he pursued it. He was willing to lose everything he had to get it. This, brothers and sisters, is the reasonable response to the value of the kingdom, to joyfully see its supreme worth, to seek it first above and beyond every other thing. This is how Jesus can say so boldly, seek first the kingdom of God. Put this first and everything else will sort itself out. Because this kingdom has supreme value above and beyond every other thing. I'm staggered when I look at the response of the man to the treasure in both parables. He is totally committed to the cause. He's 100% in. He sells everything. Not half of what he has. Not three quarters of what he has. Everything he has. All his eggs are in one basket. He doesn't have a backup plan. There's no fallback position. He is in. This treasure is going to be his. With every part of his being, he is committed to the pursuit of the treasure. It's such a wholehearted, single-minded pursuit It's not balanced. Everything he has has gone into making this treasure his own. And so I ask you another question. Does this describe your response to the kingdom? Are you 100% in seeing its supreme value and committing everything you have? I'm not just talking about money here. I'm talking about everything. Your whole being, your whole cause, your whole existence. Because you've seen the worth of the kingdom. Does that describe you? Or are there perhaps some ways where you're holding out? Some areas where Jesus is is off limits, where his value is not able to impinge where the shadow of that glory is not able to cast its light? Are there some areas where you are not wholeheartedly and single-mindedly living with Jesus as king in his eternal kingdom? Friends, let's not pretend that being a part of this kingdom isn't costly. It is. Jesus didn't pretend and frequently he spoke of the cost of following him. Jesus was quick to explain and to make it very clear that to live with him as king is to deny yourself daily, to take up your cross, literally crucifying yourself and your own desires and purposes and goals and dreams and ambitions in order to follow him. All because he's worth it. Placing our desires our pleasures, our goals, our time, our money, our aspirations, our leisure. Putting all these things aside. Why? Because he's worth it. Jesus is worth it. 
And it is a totally reasonable response for everything we have, for all of our being, to be consumed in the value of the kingdom and living for its cause. That is a perfectly reasonable, rational response to the supreme value of the kingdom of God. A.W. Tozer made this great, uh, great comment. He said, The man who has God for his treasure has all things in one. Many ordinary treasures may be denied him, or if he is allowed to have them, the enjoyment of them will be so tempered that they will never be necessary to his happiness. Or if he must see them go, one after one, he will scarcely feel a sense of loss for having the source of all things. He has the one all satisfaction, all pleasure, all delight. Whatever he may lose, he has actually lost nothing, for he now has it all in one, and he has it purely, legitimately, and forever. Isn't that beautiful? The supreme worth of Jesus makes everything else pale into insignificance. The one who has Jesus has everything, and we can be stripped entirely of anything else and still be completely content and satisfied in him. That's what happens when Jesus is our treasure. I noticed in this parable that while there is a cost, it is certainly not described as a sacrifice. Selling everything that he had was a rational response. He didn't feel, woe is me, I'm sacrificing everything for this. He knew it was worth it. And earlier this week, I came across this great speech from a guy called David Livingston. He was an African missionary, and he spoke at a university in Cambridge uh, back in 1857. And this is what he said. He said, people talk of the sacrifice I've made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Can that be called a sacrifice which has simply paid back a small part of that great debt owing to God, which we can never repay? Is that a sacrifice which brings its own blessed reward in healthy activity, the consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, and a bright hope of a glorious destiny hereafter? Away with the word in such a view and with such a thought. It is emphatically no sacrifice. Say rather, it is a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering or danger now and then with the foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of this life. They may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink. But let this only be for a moment. All these are nothing when compared with the glory which shall be revealed in and for us. I never made a sacrifice. Friends, when, when we see Jesus for, for all his glory, for all his goodness, for his supreme and incomparable value to daily give up everything to pursue him and to live for the growth of his kingdom and the glory of his name is a perfectly reasonable exchange. And friends, as this parable reminds us, giving Jesus everything is totally worth it. 
totally worth it. And I urge you to savour Jesus as the all-consuming, priceless treasure that he is and to give everything that you have to follow him. In his great hymn, Isaac Watts reminds us of the value and the power of this kingdom. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast. And then in that last verse, he hits the crescendo. The crescendo of our purpose and our existence. With the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. Demands my life my soul, my all. Let me pray. God, we just pray that you would be our treasure. Be our supreme treasure that towers far and above everything this world has to offer and the joys that compete for our attention. Father, be our delight, be our joy. May the value of your kingdom, of your glory, of your sacrifice, of knowing you, eclipse everything else that comes onto our horizon. Father, be our delight, be our joy, be our everything, and in grace we ask that you would help us to sell everything we have to secure the kingdom and live as your people.